Honored members of the Council of Thirteen, I am present at this podcast under protest. I do not deny your right to hold me for podcast. You're entitled to know anything and everything about my loyal service to the Empire. But that my Inquisitor should be none other than my most relentless enemy herself, a traitor, is intolerable. Welcome to Fandalites, the weekly podcast where myself and Jenna read and discuss each Animorphs book in order. This week we're doing Visser, which was a special book uh, in the sense that the Megamorphs were, and the Hork-Bajir Chronicles and the Andalite Chronicles, but not nearly as long. So we're only dedicating one episode to it. Also, Brent, it was a fucking barn burner. This oh was a nonstop. God. So good. Yeah, it was a real banger. I love this book. I have a complaint, though, before we get started. Okay, get it out of your system, because this okay. is going to be, the rest of the show is just going to be me gushing about the book. So go ahead. Okay, and, exercise and this, was it not, now. this was not K.A. Applegate's fault. I will put that forward. This is the, the Daryl K. Suite of the series, whoever they had doing the cover art, because based on the cover, <laughs> I assumed that this would be a Visser 3 point of view. It is not. Right, because it's a Nandalite, yeah. Yeah, it is not. It is a Visser 1 point of view, which as it turns out, I mean, actually fucking rules. It just, I feel like yes. I got bait and switched. Yeah, I mean, the Andalite on the cover isn't even really like an Andalite, you know? Well, <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> it's consistent with the other cover, torsoed Andalites, etc. Hmm. Yeah, but I mean, what does that mean, really? Just more lies. You can be consistent in your lies, but that doesn't mean they're not lies. Right, okay. Point is, at the very <laughs> beginning of the book, I, I felt like I got bait and switched. I was waiting for the Visser 3 chapter because I wanted to see inside his, like, fucking crazy, uh, violent half of the starfish morph head. <laughs> Uh, as it turns out, Visser 1 POV actually fucking rules, and it's awesome, and she's the villain that you oh love to hate. God. She's so good. This book, I feel like, really put a good... It was such a good counterpoint to Visser 3's um, whole Visser 3-ness, you know? Like, his whole deal. Yeah, you, you had a Yurik who actually, like, planned a thing instead of just trying to murder it. And <sighs> honestly, she had a commentary in it on how ironic it was that Visser 3, who attained his rank... By studying and falling yeah. in love with the Andalites when no one else was willing to, was like not willing to do the same thing for humans. Yeah. Which honestly is, yes. is a very Andalite sort of sort of sort of mindset for him to take. So sure. Yeah, it makes sense now that he's been in in an Andalite and has sort of brain melded the way that the Yurks do with the with their his host that he's sort of above <laughs> above learning about other cultures now. Oh man. Okay. <laughs> so we're we're trying to do this one in order. Yeah. Let's start from the top. Yeah, because honestly. Like, that leads into a whole other discussion. We learned so much about Yurks in this book. <laughs> oh my god, yes. Yes. So this book opens with Visor 1 on trial for treason in front of the Council of Thirteen, the, the, the Yurk High Council. And let's talk about how bullshit all of the treason charges Visor 3 is bringing against her are, because they're all things he does basically as a hobby. <laughs> it, it is um, yeah. <clears throat> treason by incompetence. Which carries a sentence of death by Dracon Beam. Treason by violation of established procedure, which carries a sentence of death by Dracon Beam. Treason by sympathy with a subject species, which carries mm. a sentence of death by Kendrona Starvation. Treason by contact with the foul Andalite race, which carries a sentence of death by torture. Treason by murder of subordinate Yurks, which carries a sentence of exile to punishment duty, which all of those things, Visser 3, all of them. <laughs> I I thought it was really funny the dig at Visor Three about how there's new regulations about killing subordinates. That oh. was when I think one of Visor One's <laughs> flashbacks. It was like, yeah, there's regulations now that you're not allowed to fucking slaughter all of your workers. I thought I liked that. Well, and it was part of during that same flashback where Visor One was basically like almost killing one, but then saving them. Yes. Because the host bodies are, they're, they're a resource, they're fungible, you can get rid of them, it's a get, who cares? But if you save them, then they know that you've got the iron right hand and the velvet gloved left hand. <laughs> yeah, so to, to, to set the stage, Visor 1 and Visor 3 are there with a whole bunch of, there's a whole bunch of Hork-Bajir guards and whatnot, and the holograms of the Council of 13. And Visor 1, like, right off the bat, turns the tables on Visor 3 and basically is like, uh, if I'm a traitor, you're a traitor too, buck. And, and the Council of 13 is like, yeah, basically you're now both on trial, low-key. Which is amazing. But it's all, it's all very much 
much better written than what I just described. It's all very subtle and like a, a very well maneuvered sort of chess movement. It's it's pretty amazing that from what I gather, any trial before the Council of Thirteen turns into a trial of both the defendant and the prosecution, <laughs> because everybody on the Council of Thirteen knows that anybody who has any rank at all in the Yurk hierarchy is guilty of multiple rule <laughs> violations, just because that's that's how it goes. Yeah, no kidding. Visser Three is guilty of association with the foul Andalite race literally by existing in his current host. <laughs> yeah, no joke. He must have special dispensation. Kind of like Visser One got the special dispensation about fucking off for a year. Yeah, basically. I really liked that. I, I liked that all of the Council of Thirteen wear robes. Because why? <laughs> like, right. why? Of course, because it's it's ceremonial. I was gonna say the council, uh, the uh, the the Guild of Calamitous Intent Leadership Council. Yeah, from Venture yeah. Brothers. That's, it that's what they are. Is. Yeah, I and I I'll say this. I was initially like, okay, how are the Horfajir wearing robes? They're covered in blades. They're covered in scissors. How are you covering them with with fabric? But then it, Ka is like Jenna. I see you. Uh-huh. I see you coming for my fashion. Yeah, she's way ahead of you on this the, one. Yeah. The Horik Pajir had special mesh <laughs> that kept them from cutting up their robes. I like that's considering some of the dodgy editing we had on a couple of these books, that was a f- fucking good catch. But like the implication of that, by the way, is that Hork Bajir can really like open up their fashion world at this point. That mesh exists, <laughs> which means the free Hork Bajir colony can start having like goth Hork Bajir. About their bodies. No. No, they can still be nude if they want, but they can accessorize that nudity now. That's true. That's true. Get some. Bows. Nothing makes a hork bajir look more awesome than a good crop top. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Good mesh crop top. Yeah. No. Well, I mean, or a crop top with mesh underneath. The, the possibilities are endless. Let's talk about how the Council of Thirteen. And this confused me for a little. They're holograms, but they're also floating. They have anti-grav things. <laughs> Where they're at. the the Council of Thirteen are all basically Baron Harkonnen from Dune, which I know that I bring up Dune a lot, but it, holy Brent. fuck, fucking Dune again, Bren. Especially the Taxons, where it talks about how ungodly obese they are for tax. They're all Baron Harkonnen, who has to have anti grab that he's got to have anti grab suspenders to hold his fat. I thought it was super weird that there were a couple of Taxon hosts yeah, on the Council of Thirteen. That was super weird, because like when you get to that level, why are you still in a fucking taxi? Maybe they really like the I tax have to assume. Hunger. Yeah, I think that's I think you're exactly it. I think you're right. I think they just really like being taxed, which is weird and grim. The thing is, as we find out through the course of this book, it apparently is not impossible for a Yurk to come to really enjoy being a specific species. Well, yeah, I mean, no kidding. It it seems like there's some things that happen to the Yurks. I mean, this is what I've said this before, and we'll say say it again, is that like, there's definitely the the Yurks are getting changed by their hosts, even if they are unwilling to believe it. You're 100% correct on that. This book confirms it. Even if they consider it treason. Well, they consider farting treason by their stated rules, like Christ. (laughs) Treason by incompetence is something that I wish people could get fired for in real life. (laughs) So basically, Visor 1, way before she's Visor 1, her role in the Yurk Empire is to find a quote-unquote class 5 species. And I don't remember what all the various classes were, but basically it's a a species that are numerous and unable to resist and and not awful like the Ged. hork class 4 only by virtue of the Andalites having genocided most of them because yeah. they now only have like thousands of hosts instead of millions or millions instead of billions. Whichever it is, they throw away a lot of fucking hork against the, Andal- the Animorphs. Yeah, that was super, super surprising to me is that it, it is like thousands, like there's a thousands of hork Bajir. like it, that was so m- much fewer than I thought there were. And it really, I think that really changes retroactively a lot of these books in which they tear through. I They've probably killed off like a significant percentage of the remaining hork Bajir in the world. And that's crazy. By they, I mean the Animorphs. So I thought I thought that was surprising. Somebody linked an article on Twitter, which I had to 
stop reading because I realized that it involved spoilers for Visser. So so somebody posted an article that was basically the, the, the thesis of it was the Yerks were always going to lose. And it was what I read before I had to stop was that it was entirely a numbers game. And this person realized it after they read Visser. And they're they're right. And Visser 1 realizes it in this book because there are not that many Yerks. There are not that many Yerks in the death cult that is the quote unquote Yerk Empire. And there are not that many Yerk hosts. Yeah, there. I mean, yeah, the it, this book and the fact that there are so few Horkbegir and not that many Taxon either, it really... It dramatically changed my understanding of this war. Because up to this point, I've been operating on the understanding that uh, the Yurk Empire is a much larger empire and that this is kind of a futile, futile battle. But actually, the Animorphs are doing pretty substantive damage. Just the fact that they are killing so many hork every fucking time they go out, it, it, they are actually doing... Good work. Yeah, the, the the weirdest thing is that I thought, because the Yerks have taken over multiple systems, that this, obviously, there's a bunch of them, but apparently in addition to being unique in its biodiversity, Earth is also unique in its population size. Yeah. Because there's a point where, uh, in this book, where Visser 1, who at the time is a sub-Visser with three digits, Edris, Edris 562 of the Salpnyar pool is the Yerks' name. They they say to their superior that they, well, it's not their superior. They're, they're sending a message to the Yurk Empire. They say they have a class five species with five billion potential hosts. And the person on the other end sort of does a jaw drop and says, you mean million? <laughs> because no other planet that they've ever come on is like this. And she's like, no, billion. Billion. Yeah billion and they've got great senses you're gonna go wild yeah you're you're gonna you're gonna go native you quote unquote go human as they say in the book so yeah so basically we we start off this visor one sort of story on this kind of backwater job like it doesn't she she there's not a lot of room for advancement unless they find a species yeah address 562 is in data analysis yeah basically and they get they get information from uh it, it was from the andalite chronicles right from from the exploits during that they hear about it from the scritna yeah um i i tried to for a sec a hot second i tried to put together the timeline because it didn't make sense to me until i thought about it a little harder but uh i remembered the andalite chronicles took place in the early 80s there was a scene in this bad in this book when they first get to earth that i think is supposed to be desert storm it is it's a it's the first gulf war and because it it fits because visser one address specifically states that it took her a few years to narrow down the possible planets in the area where they got that report from from the scritna it basically comes down to she has to find a, a, a species or else she's i don't think gonna be executed but i think she's gonna be demoted is that right it's just that she's never gonna be promoted and in the yurk empire that's as good as a death sentence because the person that she tricks into coming along with her is someone who got promoted and then fucked up they didn't have enough ambition and in the yeah. yurk hierarchy like always trying to murder your superior to climb over their corpse to their rank is apparently what they're looking for yeah more or less so they yeah so it's basically down to we're, we're you've got one week and she's like fuck so i've just gotta basically steal a ship to see if i can find this planet because if i find this planet i'm made in the shade and i'll become visor one and and that's what we know happens but it it's sort of it's it's written so that it's still very engaging even though we know that she was successful it's pretty funny, uh, actually, the the whole exchange because she's talking to the sort of demoted Yurk that she tricks into coming with her, whose name I didn't write down because he's not Esm. Esm, yeah. Another E name, thanks, K A. Uh, this book is all E names. Uh, Address Esm and Ava, which is Marco's mom's name. <laughs> yes, which did we find that out before? No, this is a this is just this book. It's a new revelation. We don't know okay. basically any of their parents' names, so now we have Ava. Because I wrote Marco's mom, and then Ava got mentioned, and I I went back and erased it, and wrote Ava, and I was like, did we know that before? But eh. no, no. So yeah, there's a there's an exchange where she tells Essam that you know if they if they get this if they deliver this on a silver platter, she's gonna be a visser, probably even single digits. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Which I found adorable. So good. 
she also she she positions the stealing of the ship to the Council of Thirteen as defying orders as loyalty. Yeah, I, like like I'm defying your orders because I'm the most loyal Yerk, and I thought that was clever a clever positioning of of her actions. Right. Well, because the way that she frames it is that her superior on this backwater data analysis planet was like class five species. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Go look at something else. And she's just so dedicated to the Yurk Empire that she had to go prove that this was the future of it. And I mean, she was right. (laughs) She was right. Or the destruction of it. If Visser 3 wasn't in charge of the invasion, she might have been right. Uh, Yeah, if she were still in charge of the invasion, I think... I think it would be too going way better. Visor 3 is really fucking the... Uh, anyway. I want to do a sidebar real quick here because it's it's a... I don't know if you noticed, but there's a real meaningful interaction when she's talking about her sort of hazing of her new recruits at this post. Yes. We finally have confirmation that if you die in the host, you die in real life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it comes up several times in this book that if the host you're in dies, you have a real small window to make it out the ear canal before you're taken with them. I'm not entirely certain if that's a physiological thing because Edris has to basically cut open the host's ear canal to get the yerk that she just killed the host of out, like physically cut them out, which I thought was interesting. I posited the idea earlier in our show like probably 20 episodes ago at this point that the God. that the physiological brain death had an effect on the yerk that was so closely bonded to the brain because of the chemicals that are released at that point and the way that neurons are firing crazily yeah which we more or less get confirmation of later at the end of this book which we'll get to <sighs> yeah i have things to say about that excellent excellent brent right, and sidebar okay so they make it to earth it takes some time. They have to steal a ship, but Edris and Essam find Earth. And they land in Desert Storm on a beach during a battle and take uh, take a host. And that's their first host. They basically just reap him for information and then kill him. Right. Well, as as Edris finds out, it's it's a conscripted soldier on the, the losing side. One of the losing sides of, of the <laughs> Gulf War, the first <laughs> Gulf War. Not the forever war we're in now, the one in the 90s. And she decides that th- this host is weak and she doesn't need him. So they, they reduce him to atoms with Dracon Beam, which is a recurring yep. theme with their human hosts in this book. <laughs> yeah, but they they get enough information. One of the things I really liked is that they approach Earth and are inundated with so many radio and television, just like endless amounts of data, and they just can't like there's just too fucking much data they cannot source it star trek the next generation (laughs) is earth's first line of defense apparently because there is a hot (laughs) second where they're like holy shit this species has faster than light travel it doesn't involve zero space and they have concentrated light beams called phasers I really like that that fell apart because they have footage of the faster the light than light travel, and uh, Edris and Essam are like, "How did they? How did they film faster than light travel? Is this lies? Is this? Are they lying?" I am both amused and saddened that the Yurks do not have stories in their culture. Oh, yeah, they don't have right. fiction apparently because when they figure out that this isn't real, their first thought is. This is chaff to confuse invading species and scare them off. Yeah. Which yes. is like, oh, I thought man. that was really funny. That's hilarious, but also really sad. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty much in keeping with everything we know about the Yurk so far. And it's part of why I think Edris is so... I think it's probably why both of them are so... <sighs> drawn to the human experience the human sensory experience yeah i think that's probably part of what converted um aftran as well Mm, yes i think that's fair in fact edris mentions in one of the non-flashback parts that they're losing control to human hosts like with greater like much greater intensity than they have with other species and i thought that was really fascinating because it she says it's due to the pressure of suppressing them, but I think this book points to the fact that it might not just be pressure. It might just be like the the pure sensory emotional experience of being human. There's something to be said about the pressure, though, because apparently, according to Edris's analysis, the Yurks have never run into a species before that will fight a losing battle out of peak. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Humans have spite, and that makes them unique in the universe, which I thought was really fascinating. It's amazing. Edris was talking about a game she plays with Allison Kim. Is that the the host? Yeah, the human host that she takes later. Yeah, we'll get there. She talks about a little game that she plays with Allison Kim, her host, where she will surrender part of the body to their control and see how long it takes them to, like, see what they do with it, right? Because it's just a game. Basically, yeah, yeah. Until Edris surrenders one of the eyelids to Allison and Allison sits on it for like a month and then closes it when they're like milliseconds driving yeah yeah trying to murder them and Edris was like holy fuck this species will kill itself rather than like live in submission and does not take that as seriously as I think probably she should have i yeah i don't i think she have learns to take it seriously i don't think visor three does and that's why he's in favor of this all-out war yeah, visor three definitely doesn't but I, I think that explains a lot honestly about the difficulty that the yurks have and honestly the the incidence of apparent mental illness in some mm. of the yurk host pairings that we've seen so far because the hosts do not roll over always. There's some of them, like yeah. like her first host, Jenny Lines, uh, who is yeah. a drug addict who really only cares that Visser One continues to get the drugs because it, it yeah. doesn't matter. Just get the drugs and I'm fine. Yeah, she basically like, not necessarily... She doesn't fight. Like, she just retreats into her own mind, Jenny does, right. and, and doesn't really engage with her 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 yerk at all. And then right. SM SM takes control of a, a big money movie producer called Lowenstein. Jenny and Lowenstein. <laughs> yeah, not not at all racist KA. Yeah, kind of kind of a stereotype. We don't get to see actually much of Lowenstein at all. That's true. That's true. But they, they basically they land at a swimming pool, take control of these hosts and and vaporize their Horkbajir bodies so that they're they are these they're stuck. They are committed. They have committed treason and their their only real hope is to f- figure out enough about humans to be able to form a plan to take them over. Oh man, and it is hilarious when Asim tries to drink from the pool and like gets chlorine <laughs> burns. That was so horrible. I felt so bad for its hork bajir, but then you know they die. So Edris is like, "Fucking, there's your water," and Asim's like, "Yes." Let's- <laughs> oh my god! Why would they do this? Why would they poison their water? Fuck, it's so good. There is a point uh, at which the Council of Thirteen, and it's it must have been before this because I have a note on it. Council of Thirteen says they'll break for one standard hour, and I wonder how many of your minutes consists <laughs> of a standard hour. Do you think it's 60? Uh, Is it a different number? I bet it's a different number. I'm just flashing back to, uh, what was it, Men in Black, where a a galactic, a standard galactic (laughs) is like 42 minutes or something. Well, it seems to go very fast this first time they break, but the next time they break, it takes a while longer, so. Yeah, so they basically just hang out as Jenny and Lowenstein for in LA. a while yeah and they decide that hollywood is too closely watched to be the site of invasion like it's just too many people are looking at hollywood it's not the ideal invasion point what visceral one comes up with is real clever because she moves to i guess berkeley somewhere <laughs> in the bay area to start a cult yes god okay yeah so Ed- edris comes to the conclusion i think fairly but also sadly that hilariously yeah you can just get the humans to submit if you do it right they have a lot they're very strong and have a lot of interesting powers compared to the yurks but also they're very weak and easily manipulated so that's how we should attack so it i think it's at this point where we sort of get a flash into the present because visor three is it at this point when the andalite bandits attack (laughs) the quote-unquote andalite bandits the starved circus animals (laughs) Yes, I wasn't gonna. So the yeah, so basically, two Hork-Bajir start attacking the procession, and then uh, a bear and a tiger join in, and Visor Three like they they take them down, they kill all all of them, and it's I think 
I really, really liked this sequence because Visor 1, from her perspective, we're seeing like, okay, they're short one of them because I know there's like six of them and there's always one in Andalite form. I don't know how many are Andalites and how many are humans. I, I think there's something wrong here because I don't see the Andalite and they're missing a certain number. Uh, and I was like, that's really fascinating. What is it? And then it's like fake. It, Visor 3 has faked this Andalite bandit attack. One, to make Idris look guilty, like they were trying to save her. Two, so that he can slaughter them in front of the console and and pretend that he's this big war hero and that the Andalite bandits aren't a problem anymore. That's brilliant. Right, but it's also extremely Visser 3 because he didn't even get the right number. Of- Fucking right. <laughs> it's extremely <laughs> like- Visser 3 because he just like left one off. He just kind of fudges the numbers and he kills a couple of his own hork bajir because uh, <laughs> I guess he couldn't get a red tail hawk in time. He could get a bear and he could get a tiger that were starved, so they attacked immediately. Like I said, circus animals. <laughs> Probably a Russian circus because it's got the bear. Yep, but I thought that it was so well written because we were we were sort of in Visor One's point of view as she was like, okay, hey, it's the Andalite bandits. No, hey, wait, something's wrong. And then we we watch her figure it out and I was so it was so engaging and such an interesting sort of power move it was well written enough that at first I was like oh okay the the animorphs are attacking I don't know how they figured this out I'm looking forward to and then the tiger got decapitated and I was like uh <laughs> yeah and the visceral was like they're fucking circus animals and I was like oh no <laughs> Oh, of course, Fister 3 didn't even get the right number of them. It's so funny. So good. But the Council of 13 is so far removed that they buy it. Except maybe Visser 1's Edris's mentor. Yeah, G- Geralt? What was his name? I'm going to call him Garrick because Garrick's the best. <laughs> okay, sure. Well, and Edris's mentor is like the, the, the one of the Council of 13 who is in charge of like all of the spycraft type stuff. And that's very Garrick. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, I think that's fair. And we he, he, seem, he seems to be on Edris's side. Yeah. Like there's a moment where she... Well, I guess we'll we'll get there. Mm-hmm. So there's this whole weird process, and then there's a point where she mentions that she doesn't care if the entire Earth burns except for two people. And I was like, "That's really interesting." Is it Marco and his dad? Yeah. Did she care enough about them via Ava's influence that that she was really concerned? So they set that up, mm-hmm. which is really interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't think we we get the payoff for that quite yet. No, not quite yet. But I think. Yeah, at this point, we we hear that Visor 1 is the one who conceived of the sharing, which makes sense because that's such that's such not a Visor 3. Right. There's just no way. It's yeah, it's just not at all what Visor 3 would do. Um, so it really makes sense that Visor 1 it came up with this plan and just Visor 3 is sort of in charge of supervising and also can't even do that really well. Visor 3 is not in the right role in this war. A lot of the Yurk invasion plan, a lot of the Yurk behavior so far is really laid bare in this book because Visor 3 is very much in favor of a shock and awe military invasion. Just fucking destroy all the major cities and sweep in and take them over. And Visser 1 is the one behind the stealth invasion of the Body Snatchers style (laughs) takeover, which honestly, I think is more likely to work. Which makes the end of this book much more sad. God, yeah, we'll get mm. there. I, I think so too. I think as, again, if if almost anybody but Visor 3 were in charge of the stealth invasion, I think it would be, one, going a lot better, and two, have a lot better chance of succeeding. But I do think it is better than just the all-out blitz. It makes me wonder, which I don't think they cover in this book, how Visor 1 got removed from being in charge of Earth's invasion. Yeah, I don't think we really get that information. It might be that they, I mean, they had a trial. They had a separate trial for when she finally contacted them and they got off Earth. So maybe it was a matter of she was imprisoned and on trial for six months. So they needed somebody to lead. Yeah, maybe. That would make sense. Uh, So there's the fake Andalite bandit attack. And then we get... I think the biggest bombshell that Essam and Edris, while they were in host bodies on Earth, had children and were in love. I really did not see this coming. And the more (sighs) that I read about this and the more that I think about it, the grosser this bizarre variant of Stockholm Syndrome gets. Because Edris is insistent. 
that her host, Allison Kim, was in love with... Hildy? Essam's host. Yeah, Essam's host, Hildy, even yeah. though, in reality, they've never been able to interact. And Essam and yeah. Edris forced them to breed, and... Yeah. I, like, I... Whew. Every part of this... It makes my skin crawl. ...is so crawl. fucked up. Yes. So, yeah. So, basically, I they don't think they specifically mention how or why they skip into these new bodies. I, I think they just needed to get more perspectives, basically. Well, I know Edra specifically was really tired of being a drug addict uh, with no <laughs> ambition. And so she jumped yeah. into Allison Kim because Allison Kim is a highly skilled, highly educated badass. Yeah. Yes. And she took her in full view of a pole party. Yeah, that was bonkers. I'm so glad you mentioned that. I totally forgot. I know. Yeah, they were at a pool party at Lowenstein's house. And as Jenny Lane, Edris basically drags Allison Kim under the water, maneuvers between the two bodies while they're underwater and drowns Jenny. Which is so It was so fucking <laughs> wild. It is buck wild. It's the most buck wild way for a yerk to switch hosts. Yeah, I can't. I, it was. Yeah, it was crazy. It was so intense. Ah, I forgot all about that. So much happens in this book that's so buck wild. I forgot about that entirely. <laughs> uh, as long as we're talking yes. about buck wild, can we sidebar it for a second and talk about how fucked up yes. and disturbing the flip book on this one was? Oh, I didn't see the flip book because I was reading a digital copy. What was the flip book? Uh, it, it is a child approaching a yerk mm. pool. And then bending down and getting infested by a yerk and standing back up. It is extremely, oh. extremely gross. God, that's fucked it's, up. It's, I assume, it, oh. uh, one of Edris' twins. We'll get there. We'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. We'll get there. Brent. Okay, all right, let's go. So, yeah, so they both they both jump ship into new bodies. Hildy and and Allison. And we, we get this information because Visor 3 is like, I have a surprise witness in this trial oh man and he he pulls in hildy i don't we don't we don't fig we don't hear what happens to hildy right does he as i i feel like he does his part and then just disappears into the background yeah we don't know what happens to him present day we know that uh in the past he ends up with half of asim like dead and stuck inside his skull to his brain <laughs> you're not being very chronological i don't yes, care it's so happen. fucked up <laughs> It is very fucked up. So basically they have a poor insane Hildy is brought in and Edris is like, oh, fuck. Oh, fuck. Oh, fuck. And I, I assume they can't reinfest Hildy. So I think they would have just done that if they could have. I think they I think probably he's just so damaged in the brain because there's leftover dead yurt bits on him that he can't. I mean, it may just be that there aren't any yurts that are willing to basically enter a crawl space with a dead body in it and just hang out there. I think if Bizzer 3 told them, I don't think they'd have I don't think it matters what they want. Death cult, Brent. I mean, fair, but once they're in the yurt pool, what's he going to do? Jump in there and start smacking the water with his tail blade? You don't think he would? You don't think he'd morph into some sort of fucking weird alien creature and dive in and just start sucking him in? like whale whale baleens yeah, into his that's, mouth that's fair yeah. you're right so so he visitor three brings in hildy and is like yeah hey what's up and hildy's like yeah edris and sm were in love they were in love love like human emotion love and that's buck wild it's even wilder that they managed to convince themselves that their hosts were also in love it's i mean we i wish so much that we could get an sm hildy Ugh. POV, because I'm so curious. Because, yeah, Edris convinces herself that Allison Kim is attracted to Hildy on, like, a human bodily level. Which might even be true. It might be. It might be. But we get this weird, horrible, rom romantic montage of them going to dinner. <sighs> <laughs> yeah. And I... And... <sighs> Falling in love. And uh, yeah, Edris presents it as if their hosts are participating equally in this weird date. And yeah, and I think it's I think it's really telling that we get we get a lot of Alice and Kim. Like Alice and Kim is very present, but we ever we don't get really any confirmation or denial. Like basically once Edris starts talking about how they were all in love this weird foursome we don't see alice and kim anymore and i think that's because edris is in denial about allison's role the role of the mind in her body 
That is not the only thing that Edris is in denial about, but we'll get there. Ooh, boy. Ooh, boy. So they have sex with their bodies, their human bodies. Yeah, they force their human slaves to breed. Mm. I'm flashing back to the book, like the second book with Rachel, where she's spying on... (laughs) Uh, the Chapmans, and the Chapmans are like, they don't watch TV, they just sit and they do the bare minimum to feed their bodies. Uh-huh. And in hindsight, thank God, <laughs> in hindsight, <laughs> thank God that they're not doing anything worse with their flush slaves. Just thank God. Thank God that they are anti-sensory input. Bless Christ. you, the Chapmans. I, w- I wonder Ugh. if that's on purpose, because the Yerk, the Council of Thirteen saw what sort of effect living as humans had on Edris and well not Essam because she fucking killed him yeah I mean I think that's a good point because this this whole part of the story is stuff that they more kind of already knew the council all kind of already knew this just not to what extent Edris was corrupted I think they 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 use the phrase addicted to being human which I thought was really interesting might as well face it, Brent. <laughs> yeah, I think we already made that joke, which is why I didn't put it down as a potential episode title. <laughs> I'll make the same joke as many times as I can. <laughs> Absolutely. So yeah, the, the Council of Thirteen already knew that she went off the grid for a couple years and lived as a human, but they didn't until her mentor, Garrick, did a direct mind meld via electrode, which is apparently a thing that the Yurks yeah, can but do. They, which they haven't done because she's such a high rank. Both of the visors are too high rank. It's it's unseemly, which I liked a lot. Yeah, it's it's it felt very real that any Yurk is required to do memory dumps, except after a certain certain rank at which case they're not required because everybody low-key knows that if you hit that rank you've had to do Just, shit that will get you convicted for yeah 100 percent yes which says a lot about the year oh, i know right uh, um i thought i thought the being addicted to humans thing was a really interesting parallel to uh axe's obsession with taste because it, it's yeah. all about the sensory, this really unique human sensory input that no other species seems to have, which is very addictive. I was struck by the similarity to Edris's description of like her first takeover of a human controller to how the Animorphs describe their first morph hmm. of a specific animal. Yeah. I mean, they're obviously not morally equivalent, like jacking DNA is not the same as taking someone's free will, but I think there's a very obvious parallel being made between how the Yerks have to struggle to dominate a host of a species that they've never experienced before, and how uh, anybody morphing has to struggle to overcome the instincts of a morph that they've never tried before. Yeah, which I think is something that Cassie has sort of low-key suggested once or twice, um, that, that the rest of the animals never really engage with because I think that's not just something they don't want to think about, which is fair. I, I don't think, I think you're right. I don't think it's quite equivalent, but there is, there is definitely a parallel. Yeah, it's, it's, it's wild. Yeah. Okay. So it, it's around this point, it, it, Ava and Edris inside Ava's body have been having a lot of interesting back and forths and Ava's like pretty much like. I win if they kill you because fuck you. They'll they'll kill this body too. And it, it's basically <laughs> basically around this point, Edris is like, the tables are really turning. I need help. <laughs> I'm I am getting I am I'm getting boned. This is not going well. I need I need to be able to contact Marco. Basically, I need to make contact with them so they can actually come and blow up Visor 3's spot, which is I. Wow. Just wow. Yeah, it is the most desperate Hail Mary. And unfortunately, Ava gets played because she is moved by Visser, by Edris's sympathy for, or not sympathy, but concern for her human children. I don't necessarily think she gets played. We we can talk about that when we get there. I Okay, I think by the end of the book, it, it becomes that. But like, while you're reading it, you don't think she's going to be played. We can talk about that. I okay. mean, I think Edris's... <sighs> love for her twins her boy and her girl that she made her human body produce <sighs> i i think that is in earnest i think we see that so basically they transfer this brain dump 
where Edris has, I mean, she, she, she went full human, uh, like, and, and, and now Garrick knows, but Garrick apparently does not want to convict Vizzer one because he gets all this information that is 100 super percent treasonous and also should probably not be allowed to continue leading forces for the Yurks. And he's sort of just, he covers for her. Because he doesn't want to convict her. He knows that Visser 3 is going to take over if Visser 1 gets convicted. And that Visser 3's plan will not yeah. fucking work. And he, yeah, he knows and the council knows, but neither Visser 1 nor 3 nor us until the end know that basically there's two fronts Two major fronts to the Yurks invasions right now. There's humans and then there's another world, the Anadi, which we haven't heard anything about. It gets name dropped uh, partway through where Visser 1 talks about the strange disappearance of the task force sent to investigate the Anadi planet. And I'm really hoping this comes up. Oh, God, me too, Brent. Yeah, basically what we learned by the end of the book is that the Andalites are amassing forces and they're going to choose one of two fronts. And if Visor 3 brings down the hammer on the human front, it, the Andalites are probably going to come there and wipe out the Yurks that are there. So they they have two baskets and they really have to commit to one, either the humans or the Anadi. And the Anadi are apparently the wrong one to commit to. Yeah. I mean, humans are great. Why would they want the Anadi? Why don't they want us, Brent? I mean, they do. But the council knows this and is uh, they basically can't. They can't ma- let Visor 3 win because it would bring down the entire Yurk. <laughs> like infrastructure because they cannot win that war with the andalites so at this point they take another break for one standard hour and visser one manages to convince them to do it by saying that her host needs to evacuate her waste and also eat yep replace replace the food yeah and uh basically palms a cell phone off of another controller in the mess hall and then in the privacy of a cleaned every 20 minutes by the ged which by the way (laughs) being the ged controller in charge of cleaning the toilets every 20 minutes has to be like the worst assignment in the york empire (laughs) at least the hork are probably potty trained probably But yeah, so in one of the the honey buckets uh, that they have in the Yerk pool, uh, she uses the cell phone to call Marco, and that's the voicemail that we hear at the very end of the previous book. Yeah, so good. And Marco is so fucking clever during this conversation. Oh, right. He's very chill, which I really appreciate. He's very like, like, what are you going to do for us? Huh? Oh, you need rescuing? Pfft. Oh. And it's, it's extremely consistent with the bright line half of Marco that was portrayed in the previous Marco POV book because he's like, well, that's a hard target. The year cool. That's a, that's a tough target. <laughs> yeah, I don't think we're going to be able to do think, that. Yeah, I don't yeah. think we're going to be able to get in there. And, mm. and like then Mr. One's like, okay, all right, well, no, they, they make deliveries every evening. It's through the, the, the hole in the middle. And he's like, well, where is that these days? <laughs> yeah. I think they moved it since last time. It's, we broke it's amazing. It. Yeah, it, the back and forth is so good. And I really like, I, I think one of the interesting things in this book is the, uh, we get so much of Ava, Marco's mom. Yes. Uh, from the inside. And Marco's mom is so much like Marco. <laughs> she's so proud of him. She's so, she has, she's so proud of him. And she also has like a very sort of snarky. Uh-huh. Reading it, I was like, okay, this is where Marco gets it from. Because I don't think we've really seen that from his dad. It, it was really interesting. Ava says explicitly, no, he's my son. He sees the path from A to B. Yeah. Uh, And it's like, okay, all right, yeah, he gets that from her. And this is sort of a jump back, but it... It was interesting to me to see that uh, sailing was a Visser 1 thing and not an Ava thing. Yeah. There's also that really nice moment, I think towards the end where, yeah, it was towards the end where Visser 1 is like, you know, I really actually enjoyed sailing just as a sensory experience. And Ava was like, you know, I kind of did too, except for all of your weird bullshit plans. Yes. That was such a good moment. This is a good book, Brent. So to fast forward a little bit, basically, Edris fucked over Essam. They both knew that they were contacting the Yurk hierarchy because their portable Kandrona was running out of juice. Yeah. And they were gonna starve to death. And there was a disagreement. Essam ran off with their kids while Edris was in the cult leader body. Yeah, she, she was using two hosts for a while so that she could basically start up the sharing with money that she stole using her Yurk hacking skills. The leader of the sharing who I think was named Lore? Lore David Altman. Yeah, which is just more evidence that you should only trust dudes named Data. 
So they're sharing in this one is a lot. I mean, it's obviously a cult. In this one, it's like full-blown cult. Like, I feel mm. like the sharing in modern day Animorphs is sort of like, it, it doesn't have as many overt religious overtones. In this yeah. one, it's really Scientology. It's just Scientology. Mm -hmm. Exactly so. <laughs> so she's using two hosts and basically Essam is starving to death and is like, okay, you're going to give up Allison's body and we're going to make a run for it. Allison, Hildy, Essam, and they're their children, their infant babies. Right, because in Essam's mind, <laughs> Allison is going to run with both your coasts in, instead of anything else. She does. She goes with them. And that's the, well, this is the thing is like, I really desperately want to know the Essam Hildy because they, we have seen Yurk human relationships that are symbiotic. So it's not impossible that Essam and Hildy had that sort of relationship. We don't know. And Allison doesn't know either. I 100% believe that Allison Kim was not willing to leave the twins that she gave birth to in the hands of... Just Essam. Yeah, a person she doesn't know piloted by Essam. Yes. Yeah, I think that's fair. So they, they basically, they bail. Essam's like, I've got three days until I die. We've just got to get as far as we can. But then they, the kids get sick, so they have to go to a hospital. Seems like a bad idea. <laughs> Edris is a super hacker on the level of Hecate, apparently. Yeah, maybe just under. Because Hecate's world class. Yeah, I would have to imagine just under. But this would have been when Hecate was still spinning wares on BBSs, right? <laughs> That's fair, yeah. So Edris tracks him to the hospital, confronts Essam in like a, a stairway Essam is like literally dying of starvation in front of her eyes. And they have this great argument about how they should have given up on the York Empire and just lived until they died on Earth. And that should have been enough for them. Right, because Essam is, Essam is gone. He defects. human side. Yeah. yeah, he defects. And Edris doesn't. She doesn't. I think she regrets it now, but she doesn't. She doesn't defect. Mm. She's, she's with the Yurks. Well, we can talk about that. So they basically, Essam is dying of starvation and starts to crawl out as part of instinct, like the Yurk death instinct. And she rips him out of Hildy's brain, leaving behind some of him, some of his deadness. She tries to pull him out and it just tears off the half that's still in there. So Hildy has half a dead Yurk just stuck to his brain, which is apparently not great for no. his mental health yeah no it's such he a gets... fucked i like oh yeah that it's is some of the most live. horror that is some of the most horror and these books have been full of horror that's one of the most horrifying parts of any of these books it really is and i think it's worth noting that during their argument edris uses basically the same comparison that Aftran did when when Aftran was arguing with Cassie about how humans should go ask pigs and chickens how yes. they feel about humans yeah. and it's it makes me think that probably this comparison of host to livestock is a real common indoctrination yeah. strategy within the yerk death cult i think you're right yeah the 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 fact that they are uh parasites and not predators it, it seems to be like a huge sticking point because that's not yeah that's something we've seen come up and again and again which i thought is really fascinating <laughs> yeah and the and the yerk death cult's attitude towards it seemed to seems to be extremely indignant that like well how dare you look down on us you murder and eat other animals and it's it's worth noting i think because we don't get a view of the yerks that are still in the home world the yerks who did not choose to like steal the Andalite technology and go invade other planets that at least by the estimation of the Andalites and to some extent the Yurks their relationship with the Ged was more symbiotic than parasitic right because the and and to be fair the Andalites consider pretty much everybody who's not an Andalite to be subsentient but the estimation that we get is that the Geds were not quite on the brink of sentience yeah they yeah they seem to be subsentient but I don't I don't know if we We've gotten a, we've only gotten York perspectives on that, and the York yeah. perspective would naturally be they're not sentient, so we're not doing anything too bad. The fact that the the York quote unquote empire pushes this narrative so hard though of hosts as livestock makes me wonder if the the portrayal of the Ged as subsentient isn't more true than we've viewed it in the past. Because if yeah, it, if it wasn't. Be. 
Yeah. Like if the Yurks on their homeworld weren't used to a more symbiotic relationship with the one species they can take control of, why would it be such a huge point of indoctrination? Why would it be such a big argument that they always make that, well, your your cattle, your your pigs and chickens, and you know, it's no different than what you do to eat. That's fair. And I think I, I think it it doesn't necessarily matter if the get are sentient or not in a way that we can perceive because the Yurks treat their bodies very cruelly anyway like killing them <laughs> because the their ho- their the Yurk in their brain has done something horrifying or torturing them basically over and over and over again which is what we have seen the Yurks do to them so yeah so so the the way that the Yurk empire treats the get is obviously horrific regardless of if they're sentient or not my conjecture is that in the Yurk homeworld it may be advantageous uh, from an evolutionary point of view for the Ged to have a sentient consciousness controlling their body's uh, intake and, and, and actions. And it, it's like, it's not it's not ethical as we view it, but it's an entirely alien life uh, ecosystem. Yeah, I'm not disagreeing with that assessment. I'm just also adding. The Yurk Death Cult definitely has taken that to an extreme uh, and and very much is, like, it's, it's wild. You don't think about very much in these books how the Yurk Empire is not the Yurk species. We, we also get a really, uh, Ava, no, Edris says pretty outright a rhetorical standpoint, which is something that we see on Earth. It's, it is an Earth rhetoric that the bodies of the host, the human hosts, are living and they're healthy and they're well cared for, so their slavery is okay. Which is, yeah, I mean, it, that is very much uh, a, a rhetoric that was handed about and that you still see about uh, slavery in the American South yeah yeah wow. yes it's a real that's a real life one so that i thought was really interesting and horrible uh, it's an obvious parallel and it's uh, i think a testament to how excellent a writer k applegate is when she's really trying that she can insert that level of subtlety into a book with this amount of ridiculous science fiction shit in it and it's yeah. not offensive yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I think it, it was well played and well placed and well earned. Um, so the the sharing has started pulling in people. They get their first voluntary host, and that was a really interesting scene. Yeah, where basically Edris bets Essam that she can get somebody f- who's fully aware of what they're signing on for, and still get them to sign on. And Essam's like, okay, fine, I'll take that bet, and he loses. He loses because they find somebody and she's like, yeah, here's a yerk. It's a slug. We're going to put it in your brain and you're going to lose free will. And he's like, that's fine. I'll take it. Which is wild because, of course, Essam loses. Yeah. I've been listening to a lot of this podcast podcast called Cults. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And wow. Yes, of course he loses. Yeah. Yeah. Bless you for trying, Essam, but humans are terrible. Essam had way more faith in us than I do. Yeah. I don't know if humans have earned the faith. It's it's interesting, and this is jumping back a little, that every alien species that we've seen, when they discover that humans war amongst themselves is horrified. Yeah. Yeah. Even though I think if, if the Yurk quote-unquote empire had stayed on the Yurk homeworld, they would be currently leading a guerrilla war against the majority of the Yurk population. Because of the lack of resources slash bodies? Because of the ideological conflict of, of we should be in charge of the galaxy versus whatever the majority of the Yurks who didn't flee the planet think. Yeah. I mean, we don't know how many stuck around. We don't, I don't think we have a good idea of how many left to be a part of this conquest and how many stayed on the planet. There's only two or three pools that we ever hear mentioned. Yeah. Which makes me think that probably this is not a huge slice. Oh, of the conquering force? Yeah. But they're also like spread out. And maybe I'm giving the Yurks too much, the, the homeworld Yurks too much credit. They're they're currently blockaded, so it's not like they could defect to the Yurk Empire even if they wanted to. Yeah. I just, we don't, we I don't think we know what, what kind of percentages we're looking at. It's true. Um, so they take video of the in or the voluntary host and then immediately kill him because they, they just don't need him. <laughs> well, they don't have they, enough Yurks to keep him around. Yeah, he's not worthwhile enough, I guess. And they send that video off to Homeworld and Homeworld's like, uh, hot diggity damn, let's do this. And Visor 3 is like, okay, but Visor 1 is still a traitor and I'm going to prove it. I'm going to prove that she's a traitor and that she has uh, defected to the human side. Despite all of this, here is her son. (laughs) He's nine years old. 
His name is Darwin. <laughs> Which Visser One thought was extremely clever when she it named him. A horrible name. I, that nine-year-old gets bullied a lot. Or he did before he became a controller. Sure, right. Now he's a member of the Sharing, so he doesn't get bullied at all. So so after Edris killed Essam, she, I think she, did she fight with Allison and kill her too? Is that what happened it, it, during that same hospital visit? She killed off, Al- she says she killed off Allison. I have no reason to disbelieve that. As far as we can tell, the twins were raised in foster care. Yes, well, uh, raised by the Sharing. I think is 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 what she says. I thought she she seemed surprised that Darwin was a controller. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, which she which makes was. me wonder what she thought the end game for her human children would be. Well, after the Yurk conquest of. Life. I think we'll get to that at the end of this. Mm-hmm. So basically, Visor Three is like, if you're still loyal to the Yurks, you will put a bullet in your child's brain and gives her a gun and darwin the controller pulls the gun to like his heart or his head and is like do it do it mom do it mommy (laughs) it is extremely (sighs) fucked up and address is stalling and stalling and then she gives this big uh like monologue about how i'll prove to you how loyal i am i'll show all of you i'm the most loyal i'm gonna kill this child will that make you happy and then bam and then bam i was hoping you'd interrupt me as the animorphs during Sorry. that. <laughs> and Sorry. then the, suddenly the actual animorphs show up. Finally, for real. Right. It's it's funny because you're you're like, okay, she's gonna pull the trigger, right? Because Edris is not someone who will ever compromise for self-preservation. Uh, and then she's like, and I just kept talking until the flea finished morphine. <laughs> Ugh. Yeah. So the the animorphs show up and they bust it up. And they kill a bunch of more horfajir and they fight. And then they snag, they snag her, they snag Visor 1. And they, they disappear into like this tunnel. They sort of, they, they end up in a tunnel. Presumably a chi is around because they have a hologram covering them while they parlay. Uh, and Marco's there and he demorphs and talks to Visor 1 and is basically like, we're going to kill you or you can leave my mom and we'll throw you in a yurk pool and you'll live a little bit longer until they find you, I guess. I don't know how auditing of the yurk pools works. Aftrans survived, uh, so not great is my assumption. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and Edris is like, well, this is, I've got to, this is where I'm at. So Edris leaves Ava and then gets put back into Ava. Yeah, and this is where I sort of thought that Ava got played. <laughs> yes. Well, let's, yeah, let's talk through this. So they, Edris gets put back in Ava and is searching through the memories and gets the memories and then is promptly, not, promptly knocked out by Axe. And the, the, basically the conversation goes like, Marco's like, hey, mom, I love you. <laughs> this is some shit, huh? And Ava's like, we have a choice here. <sighs> If Visor 3 is put in charge of the Earth, he will kill everybody, basically. You need to put me back in. Visor 1 needs to beat these charges. And then you can rescue me another time, maybe, or kill me. That's fine. Talk talk about the play. The way she got played is that Visor 1 used her weird reverse Stockholm Syndrome feelings for the children that she forced Allison Kim and Hildy to breed to temporarily convince Ava that she wasn't a complete monster. And Ava, I think, made the wrong call here because Visor 1's plan, even according to Visor 1, is the one that's going to win the war. Visser 3's plan will get the Yerks, they'll lose. Well, I see, here's the thing. I think Ava is playing a long game, and I think Edris is too. I think Ava believes enough in the Andalites and the Animorphs that they will be able to disrupt this attack long enough probably for the Andalites to come and, and, and finish them off. And I, I think I think it's less about whether Ava believes that Edris is or is not a monster. I think it's more about the future of the human race. And I think it comes down to Visor 3 will kill everybody to get 2,000 humans. Because that's what happened to the Hork-Bajir. And I think, I think she's seeing history repeating itself where they will just devastate the Earth so bad that there's only a handful of humans left. And that handful are all slaves. 
and that that could happen within a year if Visor 3 takes over. Whereas if they continue with Visor 1's attack plan, there is a longer chance that they can stop it. And I think Visor 1's is much more likely to succeed, but I think I think that's the two options they have, and Ava is betting that with Visor 1's plan, they have more chances to defeat it. Interesting. That was how I read that. And I think you're right that Ava is played, because we get this turn later on, uh, near the almost at the very I mean this is pretty much the very end but at the very very end we get this turn where Ava's like wow you really actually are a monster right and I was sort of taking that at face value where she Ava was telling Edris that she should have just let Marco kill her yeah and I I mean I agree I think they should have I think Ava should have Ugh, poor Mark. Gone with him. Uh, yeah, right. Having to reinfest his own fucking mother. God. I think they should have taken Ava with her, but I think Ava was the one to make the choice. And I, she even says, Marco, we all fight this war in our own way. And her way is to be the host for Visor 1. And that's some shit, Brent. It's Fuck. The, the most fucked up part about it, I think, is Ava made the choice and then in the next chapter fucking regretted it immediately. Yeah. But you can't unmake it now. She's not in control anymore. It's yes. so, so dark. I think she made the right choice for the human race and the wrong choice for herself. I, I think they could have found a way to keep going forward with Ava, not as a host. And I wish they had tried, but I appreciate that. It's it's almost like it's this is the devil you know. A- and this is the war that they know and that they are having some success fighting. So I think... They did a lot of work to maintain a really horrible status quo. Ugh, Brent. I guess what we'll never know is is the problem, because, of course, this was the decision necessary to keep the series going for another 20 books. <laughs> yeah. It's. I would be interested to see the alternate reality in which Mr. 3 is allowed to trip over his own dick repeatedly in full view of the <laughs> planet Earth. Yeah. Because based on this book, I think that the Yurk forces have a lot less presence than we assumed previously. They've got the blade ship, they have a handful of bug fighters. What else do they got? Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's I think it's a lot less than I was assuming. Mm -hmm. It just seems like a lot to a handful of teenagers. Yeah. Um, Mm. So basically, the Council of Three reconvenes, or the Council of Thirteen reconvenes, and says you're both fucking guilty as hell, which is true. They are. Yeah. (laughs) Both Visor One and Visor Three, yeah, get a whole bunch of charges fairly heaped upon them. But then the Council's basically like, but also we're going to suspend your deaths for now because we have a lot of shit going on. Oh yeah, it's such bullshit. Yeah, I think that points to exactly what you just said, which is that actually they are have so few competent leaders that they cannot risk getting rid of either of these two. They have so few competent leaders that Visor 3 is considered a competent leader. So <laughs> I feel like that says plenty. Oh, yeah, it's bad. It's grim. So... Basically, they decide that they are going to send Visor 1 to the Anadi world to take care of that. And Visor 3 is going to stay here, but keep doing Visor 1's plan, which is maybe the best case scenario. Although I really hope, I hope Edris slash Ava slash Visor 1 comes back. I want her back a lot. Yeah, same. Because uh, Ava rules and Edris is a villain I love to hate. Unlike Visor 3, who is an idiot that I love to watch fuck up. (laughs) Yes, that is it exactly. Um, Yeah. So at the end of this book, we have this whole, like the the last, I think it's the last chapter or the second to last, where it's basically Edris breaking down how much she loves Darwin and Madra. Her daughter is Madra. She named her after one of the Yerkholm moons. Which is kind of sweet. Kind of sweet. Again, just every sweetness about it is fucked up. I mean, like a huge red flag to anybody running the sharing. So probably she's the controller, but. Well, uh, yeah, yes, probably. Uh, We know Darwin is. I think we have to assume Madra is too. Edris is like, God, I hope they're not. And also I hope that they love me and that we can be together again. (sighs) So fucking delusional. Yes. And, And there's this moment at the end where she's like, I hope Madra loves me. If she doesn't, I'll put a yerk in her and command that yerk to love me. And that'll be just the same. Oh my god, Brent. It does not occur to Edris for a second that Madra's reaction will be, yo, you uh, forced my mom to rape my dad and uh, your other dude forced my dad to rape my mom. They raped each other because of you and that's fucked up. 
and in the like the momentary consideration of well maybe that will be the response is yeah i'll just put a slave in her that'll be fine yeah i and well i think it points to <sighs> what you were saying about how how Edri- how fucked up edris is <sighs> that she's she she doesn't understand i don't think she understands that I, like I think she literally cannot comprehend the the division between the human body that she takes over and her the brain that's controlling it and the fact that there's another person there like I think she's so in denial about the human humanity and the personhood of the host that she cannot understand that what she is suggesting is extremely fucked up and that's crazy this is why i i keep saying that edris is a villain visser one is a villain that i love to hate because she's so close she's so close she is a degree off of understanding why what she is doing is the worst but because she's that degree off she's just not capable of understanding it and also yeah. she's actually good at plans which <laughs> yeah. would be like that's like the kryptonite for the animorphs because they're very bad at plans <laughs> <laughs> Ugh. so that's <sighs> this book it's so good, and I really, it makes me want more Visser 1 in, in this series. Me too. Me too, Brent. Ugh. All right. Ah, so good. Uh, I think that'll do it for this week, right? Yes. All right. Thanks for listening. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Um, if you've got anything to say about this, hit us up, uh, fandalites at gmail.com. You can hit us up on Twitter at Fandalites or Tumblr, fandalites.tumblr.com. Uh, you can visit our sister site, andalightruth.org. Thank you to Dustin O'Dell for the use of his music for our intro and outro. You can hit him up at Dustin of CYT and listen to more of his stuff at dustinodell.bandcamp.com. Catch us next week where we do Book 36, The Mutation. And until then, remember, nostalgia is a drug. say such things about me how fucking dare you brent oh i am no traitor (laughs) please you moved back to the east coast you definitely are a traitor (laughs) i would i would love to be back in washington brent i'll say that it was raining all weekend but it wasn't the good kind i'm i'm definitely putting this bit at the after the (laughs) (laughs) excellent